Awakened Church, and I'm excited, honored, privileged to be able to share with you. We're, uh, we're in the midst of a new series, and before we dive into what our series looks like, I wanted to let you know that you guys are really lucky and blessed to be able to be here today. Uh, it is your lucky day, because I am offering today an opportunity that I've never offered before. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for someone in this room who might happen to want to be a millionaire. Is anyone interested? So here's what I'm going to do. No, I know. You think I'm exaggerating. There's no exaggeration. So right here is, uh, I, don't, I know you guys have never seen this before, but it's a million-dollar bill, right? <laughs> and uh, there's no reason to laugh. It is a million-dollar. I know you're thinking, why would Frank just kind of keep one of these in his wallet? And to be honest with you, I really don't know. But here's what I want to do for one lucky person in our congregation today. I want to offer this million-dollar bill to someone in exchange for $1,000 cash. Simple as that. So for a mere $1,000, you will have a million dollars of value that you can take to a store somewhere and get a million dollars worth of stuff. So who wants to take me up on this offer? No, no credit cards. Sorry, cash only. Now, I know you college students, you guys probably aren't stashing $1,000 in your wallet, but anyone else who's up here, Come here and take advantage of this opportunity. Anyone? No PayPal either. Seriously, I thought you guys would be jumping at an opportunity to get this million-dollar bill for a mere $1,000. So none of you are interested. None of you are even taking me seriously. And what is the reason for that? Because this is an obvious counterfeit, right? This can't be real because a million dollar bill doesn't even exist. And I share that with you because we're in the midst of a series that we're going through um, that we've entitled What the Bible Doesn't Say. And in this series, over the course of this series, I want you to remember a very important truth. And here's that important truth. Counterfeits that don't look like or sound like the real thing Counterfeits that don't look like or sound like the real thing are useless. If it doesn't look like the real thing, you're not going to fool anyone. And that's what our current summer series is going through. Sayings that we have in our culture that many people think sound biblical and many have even attributed to coming from the Bible, but really doesn't. We'll go through sayings like, God helps those who help themselves. God works in mysterious ways. Money is the root of all evil. We are all God's children. God won't give you more than you can handle. Hate the sin, love the sinner. To thine own self be true. And cleanliness is next to godliness. Now, as you read through these, I'm going to note something that's really interesting that's probably happening in your heads right now. And what you're probably wondering is, okay, those sound good. And yeah, I get it. They're not in the Bible. But so what? These aren't bad sayings. They're not really harmful. So what's so bad about believing or even saying some of these? And my response to you is that you're right. Most of them aren't very bad. If they were, you'd never say them, right? And more importantly, if they were bad or were really contradictory to what God says, you would never attribute it 
to God. You would never say that this comes from the Bible. You would never be fooled. It's like the million-dollar bill. No one believes that my million-dollar bill is real. And that's not a problem. We can have fun with it until I decide to go into a store and spend it. If I decided to take this million-dollar bill and go into a store and pass it off as the real thing, do you know what the consequence is? In this country, it's up to 20 years in prison plus a fine. If I try to pass off, as fake as it might look, if I try to pass it off as the real thing, there are consequences. And it's the same way with these sayings. In and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with them. They might sound fine, and they might even have a lot of truth in them. But as soon as we start saying they come from the Bible, as soon as we start saying God is the one who says it, then we give them an authority and a power they were never designed to have, and that's when we cross the line. That's when these sayings become dangerous. And that's why we're going through this series. In addition, uh, we're also inviting you all to be a part. This is an awakened Q&A teaching. And that means that if you have any questions, comments, or thoughts during the course of the teaching that you want to throw out there, feel free to text them to awakenqna at gmail.com. They're going to be on every slide. And uh, at the end of our time, I'll try and tackle as many of those as we can. I don't want you to miss the point. The challenge of this series is being careful that man does not put words into God's mouth. And today, the saying that we're going to walk through is the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. So most of you in this room uh, probably haven't heard of Clero Wilson. Clero was uh, a man, a young man born into a broken family. When he was seven years old, his mama left, uh, abandoned the family. Dad tried to take care of Clero and his siblings, but just couldn't do it, and ended up abandoning his children to foster care. And Clero bounced around uh, from different foster care homes until he was 16 years old. And when he was 16 years old, he decided to try and join the Air Force. So he lied about his age, and they accepted him into the Air Force. And it was there in the Air Force that his uh, flamboyant, and outgoing and fun personality really started to come out. So much so that Clero's bunkmates and fellow airmen started giving him a nickname. And they nicknamed him Flip. Because he always had such a flippant attitude. Flip Wilson is a uh, familiar name for those of us in this room who are a bit more seasoned. Um, <laughs> He was a comedian in the 60s and 70s, and I barely remember some of this. And he had his own show. And uh, during that show, he had this comedy routine, this comedy sketch. Uh, he was actually referred to by Time Magazine once as uh, TV's first black superstar. So that's how influential Flip Wilson was. He had this sketch um, where he would dress up uh, sometimes in a dress, and uh, play this woman, a character named Geraldine. And Geraldine was a woman, for those of you who were here before service, you saw one of those sketch, sketches that made Flip Wilson famous. Geraldine was this female character that Flip Wilson played that liked to break the rules, who knew what she wasn't supposed to do, but did them anyway. And for her, she always had this one-line statement to justify her behavior. And that statement was, the devil made me do it. 
the devil made me do it. And that one line from that show became a part of our cultural ethos. It became a cultural part of our entertainment and cultural self-justification. It was the way that many Americans now walked around. If we did something that we knew we shouldn't do, but we ended up doing it anyway, we would just kind of jokingly say, well, the devil made me do it. Flip Wilson is an unfamiliar name to most of us in this room, but the idea that he launched with this idea with, with Geraldine and the devil made me do it is something that is very familiar to us, no matter what age we are, because we all know what it's like to blame someone else for our bad behavior. Blame the devil when things go wrong. Blame other people when we face or encounter failure. To blame circumstances as being uh, instead of our own bad decisions. The blame game is not an unfamiliar game for us. We are familiar with what it looks like to have something happen that didn't turn out the way we expected, didn't turn out the way we anticipated, oftentimes as a result of our own poor decision or our lack of attention or something that has to do with us, and we find a way to blame someone else, to take the heat off of us. That is not anything new. That's something that we're all familiar with, and it's no surprise because people throughout history have been doing it. As a matter of fact, just a quick question, a little trivia, who knows the first person in history to blame someone else for their bad behavior? Does anyone know? Get out of here. My family doesn't count. You heard Mia? Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3. All right, good job. I want you adults just to realize that that's Mia Witt, my niece, 10-year-old niece that got that answer right. So I know you guys all knew and just didn't want to raise your hand and steal her opportunity. I was just making a point. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 11. Who told you that you were naked, the Lord God asked. This is after they've eaten from the fruit. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me that fruit, and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That is why I ate it. It might have been Flip Wilson who popularized the term, the devil made me do it. But as you can see from the book of Genesis, the idea of blaming someone else for our bad behavior has been an issue from the very beginning. And this morning, we're going to unwind that idea. But before we can, we're going to have to start off with a better understanding of who the devil is. There's a misunderstanding, uh, even amongst Christians, maybe even especially amongst Christians, that we have to untangle a bit first. Because at times, we can view the devil as being this mighty being, uh, overwhelming not quite as powerful as God, but really, really close, who can lead us down into temptation, who can cause us to sin, who can cause us misery and to experience all these horrible things. And then there's the other side of that extreme perspective where we view the devil as nothing more than a trope, a cartoon character, a caricature. And he's a cliche, he's not really real. 
The other side of that other extreme is that we can tend to look at the devil as being like the boogeyman, right? Someone that we made up to scare people but doesn't really exist. And those are the two extremes in terms of views on how we might want to approach the devil. And I just want to say that either one of those extremes are not only wrong, but dangerous for us to believe. They distort God's truth, and believing either one of those can lead to devastating consequences in our lives. So let's start here with who the devil is. Uh, First, his name was Lucifer. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, verse 12, how you were fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you were cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. So Lucifer was created as one of the high angels of heaven. The name Lucifer actually means son of the morning, and the Bible talks about him as being this uh, mighty angelic guardian who has access to the very throne room of God. That's who he is. Ezekiel tells us a bit more about his story in Ezekiel 28. It's a bit of an extended passage, so just kind of stay with me on this. It says, you were the perfection of wisdom and beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your great wealth filled you with violence and you sinned. So I banished you from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. So I threw you to earth and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. You defiled your sanctuaries with your many sins and your dishonest trade. So I brought fire from within you, and it consumed you. Before the creation of the world, there was an uprising. There was a rebellion led by this mighty angel named Lucifer. And... This rebellion happened the moment pride entered into his heart, and his desire became to be like God. He wanted to be worshipped like God. He was not satisfied with simply being an angel. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, for you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. I want you to notice something really interesting here. Lucifer, Satan, the devil, whatever you want to name him, he didn't aspire to be the mighty provider. He didn't aspire to be a good shepherd. He didn't aspire to be the prince of peace. Those were not the things that he coveted. He didn't covet the loving and life-giving attributes of God. Lucifer coveted God's power. He coveted God's strength. He coveted God's supremacy. In doing so, he strove for a place that is reserved for God alone. And the consequence of that sinful desire is that Lucifer was punished 
and sent to the depths of the earth. He was cast down and he was cast out. So that's who the devil is. But what is he doing now? It's like one of those TV shows. Where are they now? So what does the devil do is now? So that's his story. But what does that have to do with us? Does it have anything to do with us? For those of you who don't believe that the devil, probably not anyone in this room, but for those who don't believe that the devil is real, uh, I want you to know that every New Testament writer writes about him. Every single one refers to him and talks about him in some way, shape, or form in one of the books that they wrote. And when they did so, they never talked about the devil as being this imaginary figure, this force, this myth. They always talked about him as being a real being who has power and is seeking to destroy us. In the book of John, Jesus warns us about the devil. He calls him a thief with a corrupt mission and purpose in John 10.10, a verse that's familiar to a lot of us, says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. What Jesus is doing is he's contrasting the work that he is doing versus what the thief is doing. And he's defining in that passage, right, what the thief does, what the devil does. First, the devil steals. In the book of Acts, uh, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 20, and on his way to Jerusalem, he stops by Ephesus to meet with the pastors, the elders, at the church of Ephesus one last time. And during that time, he's giving them some final thoughts that he wants to pass on to these beloved leaders. And in the midst of that, he gives them a warning, Acts chapter 20, verse 29 to 30. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. This is one of the things that Paul is warning these pastors, these elders, that the devil is going to attempt to do, to raise up his own followers who will speak perverse things, and in doing so, attempt to steal away your young disciples. They're coming to cause young believers to believe perverse things and cause them to turn away from God and perhaps follow him instead. Which makes sense, doesn't it, that the devil would choose to strike here? Because after all, who, what does the Bible say that we are? We are God's ambassadors, it says in 2 Corinthians we represent God to the world. We bear his name. We bear his light, right? So it should come as no surprise that one of the strategies of the devil is to try and steal our witness, steal our disciples, to steal these young believers away, to turn Christians into hypocrites. So not only are Christians, young Christians, shipwrecked, and their lives rendered useless, but that the world, too, may look and consider, those who might consider God would be turned away. So the devil steals. The devil also kills. In the book of John, Jesus shares, Satan was a murderer from the beginning and has always hated the truth. There is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So the devil lies. He lies, he lies, he lies. Do you know what that feels like? 
to have the devil lying to you, it happens whenever you hear that voice that is in your head and tells you that you're no good, that you're a loser, that you're a failure, that you're ugly, and that no one could ever want or would ever want to be with you. No one likes you. No one wants to be around you. He lies. That's what Satan does. He lies to you over and over and over and over again until he can somehow get you to believe him. You know, it's interesting that uh, at the start of this passage, Jesus talks about him being a murderer. Isn't that interesting? That he talks about Satan being a murderer and then talks about his lying. You ever wonder why the two are kind of correlated together? It's because the, it was the devil's lies, it was the devil's deceptions at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden that brought what into the world? It brought sin and death. Satan is a murderer, and his murder weapon of choice is lies. And we have to be careful, and we have to be on guard against them. The devil steals, the devil kills, and he destroys. Peter was a close friend of Jesus. Uh, he had firsthand knowledge of what it meant to be a disciple. Some would even argue that he was Jesus' closest disciple and closest friend. And yet, even in the midst of that, Peter was well familiar with what it looks like to be influenced by the devil. There was one time when Jesus was talking about how he had come to die, to be buried, and to rise again on the third day. Peter pulls him aside to reprove him. Do you all remember what Jesus said to him? He said, get behind me. What? Get behind me, Satan. For you do not have on your mind the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus predicted that Peter would betray him. And Peter did three times. So Peter was well acquainted with the devastating influence the devil can have and how the devil wants to destroy the work of God. And it is in one of his letters that he's writing to Christians from that experience, saying, I know what it is like to have been corrupted and tempted by Satan. And this is the warning I want to give to you Christians. He writes in 1 Peter 5, 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, someone to destroy. That's a really fascinating image, is it not? A prowling lion seeking someone to devour. There is a uh, tragic story that happened this past February um, in North Carolina. There was a 22-year-old young woman named Alex Black. Alex was an intern uh, working at the North Carolina Animal Preserve, and it was just her second week there, 22-year-old intern working at her dream job. And one of her jobs as an intern was to clean out the lion dens. And so what they did is in order to clean out the lion's area, the lion was removed and placed into this enclosure, separating him from the area that was being cleaned with a gate. Unfortunately, there was a ball that somehow got stuck in that gate, so the gate was propped open, and the lion was able to escape his enclosure and get into the area where Alex and another intern were cleaning. And the lion confronted them, and even though they tried to distract him, the lion was able to catch her, Alex, and get her by the foot, grab her by the ankle, 
pulled her into the enclosure, wrapped his jaws around her neck, clamped down, and was dragging her throughout the enclosure. By the time the deputies got there, they tried to tranquilize him first, wasn't successful, took eight shots to kill the lion so they could go down there and pull out Alex Black's body. Apologize, that was a bit gruesome, but I don't want you to miss the effect of it. Lions are dangerous. Sometimes we, as, as humans, we can tend to think it's fun to take dangerous things that God has created and tame them and try and put them in an enclosure, put them in a zoo, put them in a cage, and somehow we think that makes us safe. And what Peter is saying here is, no, there is no safety. There is an enemy, and he is dangerous, and he cannot be caged by you. Be warned and be on guard. That being said, as dangerous and all these warnings and, and tell us about what Satan is and what the devil is able to do, I want us all to understand and take comfort in the fact that the devil is not all-powerful, not even close. The devil is not God. He's not even like God. He is not close to God. The devil has limits, especially when it comes to those who belong to Jesus. And foremost among them, foremost among the limitations of the devil, foremost among the things that what he cannot do is the devil cannot make you sin. If you are here today, if you are a Christian, then I want you to understand that the devil has no authority over you. None. You belong to Jesus, and God's spirit dwells in you. James, the brother of Jesus, shares this in this letter, how we are not at the mercy of the devil. Instead, he says, James 1, 13 to 15, remember, when you're being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. God does not tempt you. Satan can offer temptation. The world can offer temptation. But at the end of the day, you are the one who decides whether or not you will succumb to temptation and allow it to drag you away, to lead you astray. It is your own desires that takes that temptation and drags you into sin. It is your own desires that gives birth to sinful thoughts and sinful actions. And when you allow that sin to grow, it gives birth to death. Don't blame the devil for your sins. If you belong to Jesus, the devil cannot touch you. All he can do is roar. Secondly, I said secondly, I need to go back to school. Secondly, <laughs> the devil is not invincible. The devil is not invincible. John, I'm oh, sorry, uh, Peter describes him as a prowling lion, but the Bible teaches us that we have been given armor to stand against the devil and stand against the devil's schemes in Ephesians 6, right? To put on the full armor of God so that you might stand. 
James, again, the apostle shares a truth in James chapter 4, verse 7, a truth that I hope we all know or are familiar with and maybe even have memorized. What James says is, submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil, and he will run from you. Isn't that interesting? It starts with submission, because God is the one that gives us the power and authority to resist. But when we do, it is the devil that runs. And so earlier when we talked about this idea that, that Satan, the devil, is this prowling, roaring lion seeking someone to devour, if he's the one running from you, what does that mean? That means that the devil might be a lion, but you're a T-Rex, right? When you have God's Holy Spirit in you, it is he who will flee, not the other way around. Another passage for you guys to hold on to, 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning. That's hopefully true, right? Uh, but God, for God's son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. That is the limit of what the devil is able to do. He can roar, but he cannot touch. In a few moments, we're gonna tackle our awakened Q&A time, so if you have any questions or thoughts or comments uh, about this, feel free to text them to awakenedqna at gmail.com, and we'll tackle as many as we can. And as you're doing that, I wanted to close out with a quick, uh, quick one final story. So, I was really thinking through uh, this teaching this morning in preparation, and I realized that uh, for me, I was just kind of thinking through how it's affected my life. And for years, when I was in college, for years, uh, even when I was in, uh, as a junior and senior in high school, uh, the devil did have a hold of me. And ironically, it happened after I became a Christian, because I became a Christian around the same time, my junior year of high school. And uh, the way it looked, it, so I come from a great family, for those of you who don't know me too well, uh, my dad and mom are both Chinese, so I'm the firstborn Chinese son, or son in a Chinese family. My parents both love me. Uh, my brother kind of does, but that's probably as good as it gets, right, in a family. So my parents love me. My brother kind of does. Uh, I always got good grades. I was always really well-behaved. Um, I ran away from home once, but I did it with my parents' permission. So that's kind of how it gets, <laughs> right? That's the type of person I am. And, uh, and then I went to college. Uh, when I graduated high school, I went to college. Uh, because I graduated high school with good grades, I got, my dad bought me a new car, uh, paid for all of my schooling, and in my second year, I actually bought a condo, so I had a place to live rent-free. So that's the kind of person. So that's, that was, uh, I had nothing to complain about. I had everything that, that uh, my parents and my family was great. I had this great background, and I was blessed in many, many different ways. And so for me, on the outside, everything looked great. But on the inside, I was a mess. I had been for a long time. Um, I struggled with depression. Um, I struggled with feelings of worthlessness, and I really hated myself. And um, I hated how, uh, it's funny, sometimes I listen to my kids, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I went through the same thing. I hated how easily I cried. I hated how, um, how I was so quiet and shy, and I just couldn't talk to people, and how uncomfortable I always was, and how I hated being in social situations. All I saw were all the negative things about my life, and beyond being depressed and beyond hating myself, I was also suicidal. Um, there were a number of times when uh, I would sit in classrooms and I'd just dream about different ways to die. Uh, I sat in the kitchen 
um, once, and uh, the closest I ever got was I literally had a kitchen knife, one of those large ones, just to my chest, and I was just thinking, why, why won't you do this, right? What is it that keeps you from, from, uh, from just killing yourself? And so I used to drive on these Gainesville roads. If you've ever been, these two-lane roads in the dark at night, and uh, just thinking how easy it would be just to turn the steering wheel, crash into a tree, and die. So these are the things that used to go through my mind, and so the devil did have a hold of me, and no one knew. Because again, on the outside, um, I was doing decently in school. I was part of this church on campus uh, and part of this student group, Gator Christian Life. And uh, I was, by my second year, I was leading a life group. I was president of the student group for two years. I was being discipled by the pastor. I had, I mean, on the outside, everything looked great. It was just on the inside, I was totally messed up. And actually, ironically, the better things looked on the outside, the more pressure I felt to be good and to be everything that everyone expected of me, so the more messed up I got inside. And so uh, one day came to a head, one night, having people over at my house, and I, was, I decided I had enough. And so I just went upstairs to my room. I couldn't handle being around people anymore. And uh, a good friend of mine, Siva Nagarathanam, who's part of our church now, it's kind of weird to be the guy who discipled me, and I'm now pastoring him, it's crazy, but uh, he came up to my room, and, uh, and he asked me what was going on. I told him nothing, and I didn't want to talk about it, and Siva, being the compassionate, thoughtful guy that he is, he just decided to stay there and, and uh, say, nope, we're going to talk about it, right? And, uh, and for the first time in my life, I shared with another person uh, the things that had been going on in my head, the suicidal thoughts I had. And uh, for those of you who know Siva, he's not the most compassionate person in the world. He has a tremendous, he's a number of great strengths, and I love him to death. But compassion, he would probably say as well, is not necessarily one of his greatest strengths, and it was certainly not back then. So um, he just sat there, and instead of saying, oh, I'm sorry, Frank, dude, that sounds horrible, he instead told me that, uh, Frank, I want to tell you something that's true. Satan wants you dead. And uh, I'm like, what? And it's like he slapped me across the face and he said, Satan wants you dead because the moment you became a Christian, you didn't belong to him anymore. You belong to God and he can no longer have you. And so if he cannot have you, then he would rather destroy you because he can afford to lose you, but he can't afford to lose you and everyone you're going to influence in your life. Soon after that, he left and walked away, and I was stunned. I spent the next hour in my room just meditating on what Siva had said, and I realized the truth behind them, right? It's like Siva gave me this spiritual slap across the face. And I share that story with you all so that you would understand that I've done business with him as well. I know what his voice sounds like. I know what it feels like to be trapped, to be enslaved by different things. I know what it feels like to choose to believe lies, his lies over what God's truth is. What it feels like to believe lie over truth about what God says about me. And I want to let you know, right? I, looking back, I realized the devil didn't make me do anything. I chose. I chose to believe the lie over truth. I chose to believe the devil over God. And I chose to live a paral uh, this paralyzed, helpless, self-destructive life. And it took a slap in the face with truth for me to be shaken out of that. And I just want to say that if there's anyone in this room, if you felt the same way, that you feel like, man, I do feel that way. 
I do feel trapped. I do feel like there are lies that I listen to all the time, and I just thought that was me. And I didn't know that I could actually live another way. I didn't even realize until this moment that God has something better for me. And what God wants me to do is not succumb to these lies or give in to this temptation, but to stand firm, to put on the armor of God, to stand and to resist the devil and that he'll be the one that runs. Maybe you didn't come in to this room this morning realizing that you needed a civil slap as well. And if so, I hope you got one today. Resist the devil and he will flee. Stand firm in your faith, putting on the full armor of God, and he will run. And from now on, please, don't blame the devil for your bad behavior or your bad thoughts. The devil didn't make you do it. Don't blame the devil, defeat him. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the opportunity, the joy and privilege of being able to come into your presence and to know that, God, you have given us the victory, that we are victorious in you, that you are the God who conquered, who conquered the grave, who has conquered the enemy, and there is nothing in this universe that can stand against you, and you've chosen to dwell in us. What an amazing truth. And that, God, because your spirit dwells in us, we have no reason to fear. We might still fear nonetheless, but we have no legitimate reason to do so. We might live in ways that look defeated, but we have no reason to be defeated because you are victorious, and we share in that victory with you. Lord Jesus, I do pray for the women and men in this room. Lord, I pray that if any are feeling defeated at this point in time, Lord, that you would give them tremendous grace, God, and that you'd help them to wake up to the truth that you have in them. In Jesus' name, amen. I realized I didn't tackle Q&A. Man, I just got caught up in things.